Hi, this is Jesse, and I'm here with Red Cloaks Radio. Very excited today. My co-host today is... Hi, I'm Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. And we've got two amazing special guests today. We have got State Senator from Massachusetts, Becca Roush. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. And we also have Dr. Carrie Baker. Hello. Hi, Dr. Baker. Hi, great to be here. Um, and Dr. Baker is both president of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts and also a professor over at Smith College. And so we're really excited to have this conversation today. We are focusing on last week's Supreme Court decision um, in the matter of the Food and Drug Administration at al versus the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. January 12th, the decision came out and it was not favorable for pregnant people. Um, they basically held that you have to pick up the drug mifeprestone in person, even during a pandemic. Um, and what we wanna highlight is sort of why this really stands out as something that's quite unjust. So let's start with State Senator Becca Rausch. Um, you immediately posted this out on Twitter, drawing attention to it. What was in your mind when you saw the decision and what made you feel it was urgent to let constituents know what happened? The urgency really just cannot be understated. Those of us who have been uh, paying close attention to reproductive justice in the law for many years, or and those of us who have you know, watched the uh, Trump administration come to be, even from election day or election, I guess, post next morning in 2016, we knew that the day would be coming when reproductive freedom would come under direct attack and Roe was all but sure to fall. Um, you know, as someone who spent a lot of my career before being elected to the Senate, uh, working specifically on the intersections of women's health and reproductive justice in the law, this decision was such a clear outright attack on reproductive freedom. It was, it, it shouldn't be mind boggling to me, but it was shocking to see that the majority basically didn't even write an opinion. They just made a decision and let it go. And, and Justice Sotomayor, uh, to her credit, wrote a, a significant dissent. Um, I, I suspect and I imagine she was channeling Justice Ginsburg as she wrote this, um, but it's, it's incredibly powerful. And, and our job, you know, my job as a legislator is to make sure that each and every one of my constituents has the ability to decide for themselves about uh, their own health care, and that includes reproductive care. And this decision flies directly in the face of that obligation. So yes, it absolutely was my responsibility, my duty to call attention to it immediately, to call it out and name it for what it actually is, which is a direct and forceful attack on reproductive freedom. It will not be the last, I believe. Um, and it also kind of struck me as a an interesting counterpoint to the work that my colleagues and I are doing on Beacon Hill, whereas we're, we're losing ground on reproductive freedom at the federal level, we are gaining it here at the state level um, by recently enacting, overriding the governor's veto a couple of times actually on abortion access legislation. And most recently um, enacting, and, and in fact, the governor signed um, my maternal health equity bill uh, that, yeah, which is a big win uh, that I co-filed with colleagues in the House, Liz Miranda and Kay Khan. So, um, you know, it, it's a it's a tumultuous time for reproductive freedom. And those of us who are who are able to take the time to pay close attention to it must continue to call out both 
successes and um, hits when, when they come. And this is a big hit. We have a lot to unpack. And Dr. Baker, you've been following telemedicine abortion, you know, at the national level through your columns in Ms. Magazine, which are really incredible. And we encourage people to start following if they haven't already. Um, So when you heard the decision, I'm sure you had pen ready to go, whichever way it went. Uh, What went through your mind when you read it? And what were your first thoughts about what needs to be communicated across the country? Well, one thing that's significant about this decision is it's the first decision of the court since Amy Coney Barrett has come to the court. And I think it's a sign of the future. I think that the Supreme Court is not going to be a place to vindicate the rights of, for abortion. Um, in fact, it's going to be a place where we lose abortion rights, which means that acting on the state level is all that much more important. And what we did here in Massachusetts with the Roe Act is so important. We are the first state ever to remove a parental consent requirement. Um, it was not easy. As um, Senator Roush said, we had to override the governor's veto twice, but we did it. And that's really significant. I think the decision, we have to put it in a broader context. The Trump administration has suspended all kinds of in-person requirements for medications that are far less safe than mifepristone, including drugs like opioids, fentanyl, oxycontin. And they've, they appealed all the way to the Supreme Court twice to try to maintain this requirement of an in-person visit. The standard that the court uses in these kinds of cases cases is, is this restriction an undue burden? And by saying that it wasn't, they're basically saying that women's lives don't matter, that women should have to, and people should have to risk their lives, go to medical offices in person, travel in some cases, hundreds of miles. I mean, you have to keep in mind in many parts of the country, they've closed down with regulations, so many clinics that women have to travel 50, 100, sometimes 200 miles to even physically get to a clinic. I mean, this is about barring access to abortion care. And of course, the people that are most vulnerable are the uh, low-income people and people of color who have the least resources to be able to take time off uh, from their essential jobs and low-income often jobs, uh, travel long distances, find childcare. And so um, to me, this decision is really callous. Um, but I think it's um, more, we're going to see more of this kind. And so we really have to be fighting back and working at the state level to increase access. Justice Sotomayor wrote a dissent and Justice Kagan signed on to it. Justice Breyer didn't actually sign on to it, but said he would deny the application. What do you think about what that tells us in the way the decision was handed down? It seems kind of dismissive. Yeah, well, well it is dismissive. Um, and, and I think that it's it is a signal. I think this is what um, Dr. Baker was was just pointing out, right? It is a, a strong signal of what we can expect to see from this particular makeup of the Supreme Court. Um, and, and to the point that that, uh, that Dr. Baker was just making, right? The majority in their one paragraph, you know, barely a decision decision, uh, right? The Chief Justice in his opening statements specifically says the question before us is not whether the requirements for dispensing mifepristone impose an undue burden on a woman's right to an abortion as a general matter, right? So he, he's specifically trying to circumvent the question that they in fact should be asking, um, right? He, he's, he's intentionally, um, and, and in my opinion, 
um, wrongly asking the wrong question. But the question that he did ask and answer, right, the question instead is whether the district court properly ordered the FDA to uh, to lift established requirements, right? So there, he's asking a question of whether we should defer, whether the court should defer to the FDA as a government um, office. And, and Justice Sotomayor directly calls that out in her dissent saying um, that she in fact agrees that deference is due to reasoned decisions of public health officials grappling with a deadly pandemic. And then she says, but the record here is bereft of any reasoning. There simply is no reasoned decision here to which this court can defer, right? There's, there's absolutely nothing of substance in anything that the government offered here in order to justify a decision to make mifepristone the only drug of the over 20,000 that the FDA has approved that currently requires an in-person appearance in order to get it and then go home and take it. Exactly, right? right? You don't even only have to take one. it at the doctor's, right? You take it at home. And the Dr. Baker- one. It's just, it is so obviously an attack on reproductive freedom. And thankfully, in some weird twist of fate, this decision, the way it was crafted, actually left the door open for the Biden-Harris administration to reverse the decision immediately. So, uh, you know, that uh, inauguration day is coming very quickly. And I hope that we will see a reversal of this FDA decision in the immediate aftermath of the Biden-Harris inauguration, because it's the only way that we actually get change here. I will say for myself, I think the fact that Justice Breyer did not lend his voice to the dissent is very, very unfortunate um, because we only mm -hmm. have two justices speaking yeah. for reproductive justice and his, um, I don't know what was going on there, but he had an opportunity to show some solidarity and he really didn't do that. What's your thoughts? Yeah, Jesse, I think that's a great idea. I mean, a great point. So yeah, I'll just note Ch Chief Justice Roberts' opinion where he says that, you know, the government, the court should defer to the expert opinions of, you know, the politically accountable entities with, quote, background competence and expertise to assess public health. Um, you know, I think it's very clear, um, you know, as Senator Rauch said, there was no record of any sort of reasoned decision making. And it's been it's very clear that the Trump administration has not been considering science and considering what medicine says. In fact, medication abortion is one of the safest medications. It's six times safer than Viagra, which is handed out like candy. You can be sure you don't have to go to your doctor and make an in-person visit to get Viagra. Yet this is what they're doing with regard to uh, mifepristone. And again, it's a sexual double standard and it has to do with, you know, um, anti-abortion politicians who don't want women to be able to control their bodies and their lives. And it's based in misogyny and racism, I think. Um, as far as the impact on um, telemedicine abortion, so because of the pandemic um, and because of the lower court decision in this case in joining this requirement of an in-person visit since last July, we've had about six months where across the country, doctors have been able to provide medication abortion by telemedicine, meaning that a patient can just call the doctor, have a consultation and screening on the phone, and then the doctor can mail or, or have a pharmacy, an online pharmacy, mail the medication to their patient. This has been 
absolutely revolutionary. It has enabled people to access abortion care without having to leave their home, um, conveniently, privately, and affordable. The normal cost of a medication abortion where you go into the clinic is five to $700 here in Massachusetts, you know, $700. Well, in fact, these uh, telemedicine abortion startups are charging $199, $350, much, much less. And as soon as this decision came down, that was stopped. And a one creative telemedicine startup, Just the Pill in Minnesota, bought a van and decided to go on the road and begin to provide abortion in rural areas with a van. Interestingly, awesome. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's not ideal. We'd rather people just to be able to make the call and not have to require the doctor to travel all over the state. But, um, you know, here in Massachusetts, we didn't yet have telemedicine abortion. So it's not having a direct impact on us. Although soon we will have telemedicine abortion, but it will be as a research exception to the FDA restriction. And, and we'll have more to talk about that when that actually happens, which should be in the near future. Um, you mentioned that the Biden administration has an opportunity to, um, did I get the word right, Re reverse this decision of the FDA? The, what the Biden administration can do is exempt the mifepristone from the um, from the in-person requirement, just like, you know, the Trump administration declined to do that, but the Biden administration can do that. So what the Supreme Court did is just reinstate the Trump administration's refusal to grant an exception from that in-person requirement. So, you know, the, the executive branch can make all sorts of policy decisions and the policy decision that the Trump administration made um, to not exempt Mifepristone from the in-person requirement was challenged, um, you know, in court by Sister Song and other organizations and the AMA, and that's when the lower court struck down that um, that decision. And so. Biden can definitely reverse that. And activists are also encouraging Biden to ask the FDA to uh, review the underlying restriction altogether, which is very outmoded, not consistent with science. Um, it's been in place for a very long time. It was put in place in response to anti-abortion activists. Like I said, mifepristone is one of the safest drugs there is, yet it's under this drug safety program that means that pharmacies can't distribute it and doctors can't prescribe it easily. So the hope is, is that Biden will have his FDA remove that restriction and then everybody will be able to have access to it and have access to it by telemedicine. You know, this is something, everything that, that Dr. Baker has just commented on, uh, this telemedicine access to medication abortion is something that Justice Sotomayor specifically uplifts in her dissent in the decision um, she's, she specifically says that uh, the FDA provided no evidence, right? The government provided no evidence that any pregnant people had been harmed by having telehealth access to medication abortion. Um, right? So there, there's no um, imminent harm uh, you know, relevant here, right? It, it just doesn't exist, of course, which is no shock to any of us. Um, but, you know, this is, this is part of the kind of decision-making that should have happened in the court's 
uh, assessment of uh, of this particular case and and didn't it just didn't happen um which is which is a real miscarriage of of justice in in my opinion and and clearly in, in justice one of my you know and and justice kagan's opinions as well um now here at the state level we did just pass a pretty comprehensive telehealth legislation which is uh, quite exciting um and uh, certainly um had been part of the conversation about policy changes in um, health delivery and health access at the state level for a while and and you know sort of a, a strange silver lining of this pandemic it very quickly rose to the forefront of what we needed to do um so i, I was proud to vote yes for that and grateful to my colleagues who who led that um particularly senator uh, cindy friedman um <laughs> but we've we've got still significant work to do right and and this uh, this work that dr baker mentioned of of how the biden harris administration right the fda under a new administration can change these rules and and that the rule itself was actually archaic and inaccurate and and you know medically unjustified that's exactly what we just did um you know from a, a 50,000 foot policy view here in this in Massachusetts, when we passed abortion access le uh, legislation, just in the last you know recent couple of months, uh, right? We struck medically inaccurate language from our books. We uh, we created access for 16 and 17 year olds, uh, right? In this uh, parental consent provision, we created access for uh, for the unimaginable, unimaginably difficult circumstances of a fatal fetal diagnosis. Right? We we significantly updated um, and uh, made real advancements in people's ability to access abortion care in Massachusetts. We all thank you so much because as a senator, you really stuck your neck out. You were out there in social media, you were leading in the state, not just for your constituents, but also for the benefit of us wherever we may live. And frankly, for people in, in other states who will end up traveling here when they can't access the health care they need elsewhere. So another little red cloaks round of thank you um, because that legislation, like you said, Dr. Baker, we did do it, but it really took two full years. So I know on my Facebook stream, it just came up yesterday, a picture of me with my state rep, the day of sexual health lobby day. And I was like, wow, it was literally two years ago. So, you know, even in, for listeners, we have listeners out of state, even in a blue state, it was not easy mm -hmm. to pass. It was really difficult. Um, but, but we made it and other legislation has come forward, which is terrific. I do want to go back again, thinking about the women on the Supreme Court right now, because I think we're all in agreement. We're not going to see a lot of support from the majority for reproductive justice or reproductive mm -hmm. rights or reproductive freedom or reproductive health. Um, but after the loss of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I think we all also shared feeling that is a huge loss, it did, it did make us wonder who is going to be the spokesperson, who's going to be the champion. And I think we need to help culturally for listeners to encourage them to learn more about Justice Sotomayor and mm. Justice Kagan, because they don't have little action figures yet, but they're <laughs> gonna need them, you know? They should have little action figures. Um, I, I really do encourage everybody to read um, Sotomayor's dissent in this opinion, because um, it's not, I mean, I'm a lawyer, but, um, but I can see you holding it up right now. Um, it's it's a relatively short dissent. It's um, it's not bogged down in a bunch of legal jargon. So it's actually pretty accessible, um, whether or not you have any legal training at all. Uh, but it's it gives you great insight into where she is and her thinking and uh, the rigor of her analysis and her um, amazing 
ability to respectfully call out uh, the absence of any, you know, legitimate reasoned decision from the majority and also from the government attorneys in this particular case. So I agree with that. It's a beautifully written dissent. And I would also encourage people to read her autobiography called My Beloved World, which is so beautifully written about her growing up as a low income um, Puerto Rican child in New York City and struggling with diabetes and struggling to get an education and struggling against racism. And it's just a beautifully written piece. And I think it's not surprising that she is so attuned to civil rights and so attuned to human rights as reflected in this decision and so many others. Yeah, right. I also recommend the, uh, the memoir. It's really a phenomenal read. And I want to also hold up in my little show and tell the Ms. Magazine. You can get it digitally and you can subscribe for updates online for free. I mean, I'm a subscriber to the magazine and have been for quite some years. Um, and Karen, I know you worked there. Um, so we really want to let listeners know there are free resources that are available to keep you posted on what's going on. Because Absolutely. wherever you may live, you know, we need to be more connected. The other thing that comes to mind, I'd love your thoughts on are, we're not quite there um, in the state or certainly nationally, where we are organized enough that when something like this happens, we have a unified uh, reaction, a unified response. And so something really interesting as the row provisions were passed, again, yay, um, right after that we saw this incredible action in Argentina where laws were changed and we saw so many hundreds of thousands of women coming out in the street in a very unified, kind of scary during a pandemic way, yeah. uh, really close together, but they were fighting for their life and fighting to live and fighting to have freedom over their bodies. Um, America's not quite in the same spot. Contrast that with what's going on in Poland, where the restrictions mm -hmm. are even more um, even more difficult, and the women are taking to the streets, and um, and they're not behaving like ladies. Um, <laughs> Good on. <laughs> they're behaving well, like really strong Polish women. You know. Well, well said. We had on the artist Viva Ruiz and her Thank God for Abortion International Anthem, which they played in mm -hmm. Poland, which was so awesome to get to talk oh, to her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Really cool. What are some things you think we can do both in the state of Massachusetts, also nationally or internationally, to really harness this power we have over social media to be connected and be able to respond? Because part of what struck me last week while we were dealing with the implosion of <laughs> potentially democracy with the siege mm -hmm. of the capital was, boy, this big decision comes out and here here is Dr. Baker and here is our Senator Roush out there immediately on social media, bringing people's attention to also look at this important attack. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, social media can be such a powerful tool. Um, so I would, you know, to anyone who's listening, if you're not yet following Boston Red Cloaks and uh, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, the uh, if you're in Massachusetts, uh, the Massachusetts Coalition on um, maternal health equity during COVID-19. Uh, you know, several of us in the legislature, myself included, who are leading, uh, you know, and really championing reproductive justice, uh, certainly Congresswoman Peckley at the, at the federal level, many others, um, you know, follow us on social media. I often, um, during debate, will live tweet even from the Senate, well, used to be from the Senate floor and now virtually, but, you know, follow along so that you can 
um, engage and get involved with these advocacy organizations so that we can be unified and, and significant in our fight to advance reproductive freedom and justice. We really need to educate people about what the abortion pill is and how safe and easy it is. I think a lot of people just don't know. And there's some great organizations doing that work, like Plan C. Their website is plancpills.org or other organizations and, and like groups working against stigma, groups trying to raise people's awareness about these issues. In addition to that, here in Massachusetts, Representative Lindsay Sabadosa is introducing legislation this session to require public and state universities in the state of Massachusetts to provide medication abortion to students on campus. Mm. And this is a wonderful bill that would make it um, you know, so that people don't have to, yeah, it's a refile from last session, um, although new and improved. And um, she, uh, uh, you know, we, we're doing research right now and realizing that students have to travel hours on, on public transit to get to healthcare providers and then have to sit there in the office for hours. And so it ends up taking an entire day for them to get the services they need, whereas health centers on campus could provide it so easily and right there on campus. So that's one local campaign. And um, I'm president of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. We have a Facebook page and we try to educate people about all of these issues. So please follow us. We really thank you both so much for making time to have a chance for us to digest and process this a little bit quickly. Um, and coming up soon for listeners, we are also going to be having a representative from Abobo Bravado, which is a group that helps reduce the stigma on people who have had two or more abortions. And that'll be a great conversation. And the Pink House Defenders will be with us as well to talk a little bit about the overlap we see in those who literally attacked the Capitol and our Congress um, and people who stand outside clinics and try to prevent people from accessing their health care. So keep an eye out for our next episodes. Thank you, Senator Roush, so much. Thank you, Dr. Baker, for your advocacy and your ongoing leadership and taking the time to educate and inform us. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's great to be to know who we can turn to. And uh, you are both great mo models for that. Thanks so much. Anytime. Same here.